Welcome to the Kixology Podcast, a show all about running shoes. My name is Brian Metzler, your host and resident running shoe geek. I've been a running journalist and shoe tester for a lot of my career and have been fascinated with running shoes since I was a kid. I'm also the author of Kixology, a book about the hype, science, culture, and cool of running shoes. In this episode, I talk with Chris Hartner, the owner of Naperville Running Company in suburban Chicago, and Dave Dombro, a running shoe design executive with many different brands. We explore the evolution of running shoes, dating back to some popular models of the 1980s, some modern advancements with running shoes that have carbon fiber plates, and also talk about what's coming in the future. And just one quick note, we had some audio difficulties recording this session remotely. We apologize for that, but the conversation is rich, so we thank you for your patience and understanding. Thanks for tuning in. Sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to today's episode of the Kixology Podcast. I'm honored to be joined by two running industry experts I really respect. Chris Hartner, the owner of Naperville Running Company in suburban Chicago, and Dave Dombro, a shoe design executive who has worked with a lot of brands, most recently Under Armour, and is also the co-conspirator of a really cool YouTube show called Speed Hack. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so, so yeah, we all love running shoes, obviously. We've all been involved in different aspects of it. Um, I know you guys both work for brands. Chris, obviously, you've been selling shoes for, for 20 years. I said, you know, I, I guess when I look back on my experience as to how I kind of got into this uh, running shoe geek world, it's like I was a kid running middle school cross country and, you know, I just love shoes and I love what they, you know, made me feel. I love to run fast. I love to move. But, but I also realized there was something different than that too. You know, I, I certainly think that kids noticed shoes for their brands, for their colors, for what they were. You know, I knew I could run faster in certain shoes. Um, but when I was a kid, I think that like, you know, there was a moment like when I first started cross country, I was running in like pro kids, you know, a, a you know, a low end kind of just thing you, you bought from a department store. And, and yet the kids that were seventh and eighth grade, they were wearing Nikes and Adidas. And, you know, so when I got my first pair of Adidas organs, um, I really felt like, wow, I belonged. I was a runner. I was something and I was part of this kind of thing, whatever it was. Um, but it was because of the shoes as much as anything else. So I think that, that, that certainly spurred me into, you know, this whole career of things that, that I kind of fell into, um, about running shoes. Um, Chris, I know your story is interesting too. I think you have some interesting first time stories with your first pair of running shoes. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us that? Yeah. I, I, mine's that some, the, the, the first shoes, athletic shoes I had kind of similar to you where I was, I wasn't a runner. I was more of a, in fact, I wasn't really in sports at all. I tried a couple and I wasn't very good. And, you know, so I had like zips, you know, the ZIPPS brand maybe where the, the commercial back in the day was a kid would, you know, bounce back and forth on his feet in the dirt and put a little line across and to make the Z logo. And, um, you know, I wore all kinds of stuff that wasn't, you know, very performance oriented, but, when I started running, like it's clear that um, that was I had end up having a fascination with with footwear, and you know part of it was I think that the very first pair I got was a sixty dollar pair of New Balance six twenties, and it was um, going into my eighth grade year. I had just started running in, over that summer just because I couldn't finish the six hundred yard dash and sixth grade seventh grade so i decided to start running and um so my mom took me out and we bought this i mean it was absurd that to spend 60 dollars on a pair of uh on a pair of shoes but i got them and they were awesome i was so proud of them and infatuated by them and and i it was probably boy so that was probably in the summer before so we went to the boundary waters on a canoe trip I brought them with, they got wet, set them by the fireplace to dry. And the the nitrogen infused, uh, blown rubber EVA outsole shrunk and hardened um, literally to like <laughs> two thirds of the original size. And I was just crushed, you know, there just wasn't, there's nothing I could do. And, and then I didn't know that you could have them resold or anything because I was a rookie. So, you know, that kind of, I don't know, it was maybe that scarring moment and uh, it, it showed how much I, I appreciated them anyways, and then having them taken away, you know, and I guess that might've been what triggered this thing that's been burning in my brain ever, ever since. I mean, I was, that was 40 years ago. So take that into measure there. So. You're, you're dating, you're dating yourself. You're, you're old yeah. school. Yeah. Old school. For uh, sure. Dave, what about you? I know you were an athlete. You were a cross country runner as well, right? I, I was, but I was also, um, 
you know, played other sports too. So I, I, I remember it distinctly the first time I went out for cross country, uh, I actually didn't have running shoes. Um, you know, I thought, I thought I could run or I thought I had the potential to be a runner. So I, uh, I went out for it, but I remember distinctly running in, uh, Nike flight 89s. Imagine, <laughs> go, imagine going and doing, uh, you know, that's a good, seven, that's, seven or eight miles. Yeah, that's a good shoe. yeah, it was a yeah. great shoe, but, um, but that was what I first went in. And then, uh, you know, I quickly, once I made the team, I, uh, I think I re- remember the first running shoe being, uh, Asics uh, Gel Light, I think threes. Um, if you remember that shoe, the Asics Gel Light. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's 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 retroed all over the oh, place yeah. now. But uh, it was a performance yeah, shoe yeah. at one time. It had the split tongue. Remember that, guys? It, it had oh the, yeah, oh yeah, split tongue, right? right. <laughs> so that it was it probably. It also wasn't very light either. No, you know. But at the time, you know, it was pretty cool. I think mine were uh, purple and black, from what I remember, and. Um, Yep, that was kind of my one, first. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep, the first shoe, and then uh, you know I be I kind of drifted into becoming a uh, you know running in the Nike Peg for a while. Then. Yeah, for sure. I, I ran a lot of Nike Pegs uh, through the years. I think that like I, I ran in um, probably the second edition. I didn't have the first one, but I ran in the second one and probably at least two dozen of them since then. And I actually ran in a pair of the Peg Thirty Sevens uh, last night. So obviously that's mm. that's kind of a cool story that like you know <laughs> ties to the, the roots of my running. You know. <laughs> um, people ask me uh, what my favorite running shoe is, and I, I'm not sure I have a favorite running shoe because I, I run in so many, and I've, I've got many, so many different moments and different shoes. And I think that's that's the key part. I think that like when I look at a shoe, I think of the the, the, the runs or the moments or the or the races I ran in those. And um, you know, I look back to like the Nike Air Edge was a big favorite of mine when I was in high school, and you know, I had one red swoosh, one blue swoosh, super light. It was like a racing flat for distance runners, and um, certainly meant a lot to me. But since then, I've run in everything, and like had different, you know, different, different, uh, kind of trails I've run in. I've, I've liked shoes. And lately I've been running in, you know, the ultra temp two, I think it is. Um, I, I run in Brooks launch a lot. I, I, I used to love the, the new balance fresh film Zante, but that went away, unfortunately. And I put tons of miles in the Hoka challenger, the Hoka speed goat. And so, you know, certainly I think certain people have favorite shoes, but I think that once you're in the industry or you've worn a lot of shoes, it's hard to nail that down because there's so many different shoes. I mean, like, can neither of you think of a shoe that's like, wow, that's my favorite. But that, that's one that really changed the game for me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, for me, I'd say the the there's two that stand out in the um, kind of in my middle prehistoric period um, would be the the original <laughs> Asics Gel Epirus, uh, the kind of mustard colored one, and I think that's even maybe the color code and name for that one. Uh, just so light and bouncy and responsive. And it had a little stability, if I recall correctly, a little bit of some variation of a, it's probably, it was probably a board last. It probably wasn't a, a, a post or anything. And then um, the original Skylon, which uh, I just love that shoe. And uh, for my, for my master's thesis, I actually used that shoe and Nike built uh, two pair uh, off, off of their production line. Um, they, for my master's, uh, my actual thesis, I did a study uh, on shoe weight distribution, and so they built these shoes with little weight pockets. But when I was done with the study, they were both in my size. Um, so everybody that did the study had to be like a ten and a half, an eight and a half to a ten and a half, so they could kind of squeeze into my nine and a half. But I got to have two free pair of those, which was pretty nice for a grad student at the time. So those are the ones that stand out for me big time. Yep. yep. How about you, Dave? Yeah, for me, I would say obviously the peg through the years, just because that was always kind of a gun of a shoe you'd go back to. But um, you know, the DS Trainer um, from Asics also sticks out to me as a, a shoe through the through the years that I remember running in. And then a lot of it goes back to memories for me. And um, I worked at uh, Solomon uh, way back when, and there was um, some really cool product that we were working on at the time. Uh, out in Boulder, actually, uh, the Raid series. And there was one in particular, I don't, I don't know if it was part of the Raid series or not, I can't remember, but it had a split color. So it was like half blue, half yellow. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember that trail. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah that's yeah, a yeah. sweet one. Yep, yeah, yep. and it was super iconic. So um, from a design standpoint, that one really, um, I did not design that one, but it uh, it sticks out to me uh, as one that does. And uh, another one that I did work on that I was fortunate was Speedform. And that one... Uh, I got to work on it UA and that's the one we made at a, at a peril factory. So, um, you know, they all, they all go back to memories and, um, and performance. So 
For sure. Yeah, I think that it's interesting that, that probably most runners, you know, don't really maybe think as deeply as we do about running shoes. And that, that makes sense. They, they certainly lace them up and they appreciate them and they, they run their, their miles and their races and everything else. But certainly uh, when you get down to the nitty gritty of materials, um, you know, certainly long time ago, shoes were leather and then they, you know, became canvas and then obviously synthetics and obviously rubber was a big thing. And, and obviously foams, foams were the big thing that probably changed things. Uh, EVA foam for years and, and still around now, obviously. And then obviously air and gel and everything else. It seems like, um, you know, r- runners go to stores and they buy what, what's there, obviously. But, but at the same time, it seems like there's been so many innovations and so many changes, um, always with the intent of making runners, you know, run better, run faster, run more comfortably. Um, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's a huge innovation. If you took a shoe from, you know, like the Nike or the New Balance Trackster from the 60s to now, it's like, it looks like a shoe, but it's not even the same thing, right? I mean, evolution has always been a part of this industry. Is that right? Well, yeah. And that actually, I use that um, when I do shoe clinics uh, or staff to shoe clinics. I think we use them when we're talking to a group, just like I'll pull out a, um, you know, an, an original version of a Pegasus and pull out our current version of a Pegasus and just say, hey, here's the deal. Like it stinks. I know you're a running group and you wish your shoe would stay the same and not change and you know, every, every other version or every fourth version, you know, you don't like it, but you know what, if we didn't do that and the vendors didn't do that, here's what you would have, you know, instead of this nice modern looking shoe, you'd still have the, you know, original waffle trainer, you know? So we, we need, and we want that as, you know, um, you know, it's obviously from our perspective, that's our career and our jobs, but, um, you know, uh, even taking that out and just as a runner, it's what we want. You know, I want to get faster. I want to be motivated. I want to, I want something fresh and new and bouncier and quicker. And, you know, you need that little, I mean, maybe not everybody does, but I mean, a, a fresh new pair of socks is enough motivation to get me out the door sometimes when I'm on the low motivational ebb, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I always tell people that happiness is a new pair of shoes, right? And why? Because like yep. you, you buy a pair of shoes and they feel good, but it, but it's also that like you have this notion that like, oh, I'm going to do something, I'm going to train, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to run faster. And like, I think that's what kind of shoes represent in a lot of ways. Um, and I think too, if you talk about the evolution, I mean, like a lot of these evolutions happened a long time ago or started a long time ago, but trail running shoes really in the last 20 years or so really have um, kind of made their presence. I mean, like when the first trail running shoes came out, there was, there was these lightweight kind of um road running shoes and then there was like these heavier kind of um models that came from boot brands obviously and so you know i think that if we talk about evolution that, that, that yeah that runners do want these changes they want these um uh these these new models because they do run better and faster and, and all these things in it um dave from someone who's been involved uh, in shoe design and, and chris i know you were working at companies too so you were kind of privy to this but but dave how, do, how does a shoe come to be meaning like uh, you know, it might start with an idea, right? But I mean, like, how do you get from point A to point B knowing you want to make a shoe that a runner can run well in, but also it's got to sell, right? It's got to be marketable. How, how does that all happen? Well, I mean, it, it's it's all about the approach, all about the story. And it, it really starts with multiple people, which is interesting, right? It never, never really starts with one. Usually in the uh, industry, they call it a triad, but you have a, a PLM, a product line manager, you have a developer, um, and you have a designer. And they come together um, in an ideal circumstance. They come together to, to form the brief and the brief kind of gets the whole project going. Um, and hopefully that has a really great insight um, that's super um, endemic to running and, and a runner's insight that gets you somewhere new. Um, and hopefully it's an insight that, uh, you know, is going to progress the industry and, and take you somewhere. Now. Yeah, certainly. And I think that um, that's another thing people maybe don't realize when they buy shoes. And, you know, nowadays people buy shoes in a lot of ways, obviously, um, in an online store, direct from the brand. And certainly, as I always tell people, the best way to do it is from a specialty retailer because you can really go and get that service and understand kind of how that shoe works with your your gait, your foot size, your foot shape, all those things. But but Chris, tell me, tell me about this. I mean, like, what Dave just said, obviously, there's this design process that happens at a company, and then, you know, down the road, you're selling that shoe. Um, how does that all coalesce? I mean, obviously, um, you walk in with a, a study of one, a customer of one, right? And you've got yep. 100 shoes on your wall. How does that possibly happen? I mean, is, is it is it is it trial and error? Is it a science? Is it? Tell me about that. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's kind of, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And that's the uh, where the rubber meets the road, you know, pun intended. Like, you know, Dave and Dave and his triad can come up with whatever they want. But, um, you know, when it gets to our door, um, what truly matters is if when the person puts it on their feet, number one, does it feel right? Does it feel good? Does it feel like uh, it's winning the comparative contest um, enough to get purchased and then go out and be running, you know, um, we do certainly need to know the, uh, it helps our employees. It helps us to know what the concept is behind the shoe and why it's made and why they did it. Uh, what it's some of the mechanical functioning functionings are what the, what's unique about it. Uh, cause that's all part of our process and, you know, directing somebody towards a shoe. Uh, but nothing matters more than, you know, getting it on the feet and seeing if, uh, if the customer's like it. And we test stuff, you know, we test stuff sometimes a year before we're lucky. Sometimes, you know, we get some cool seating stuff from vendors, some pre, uh, you know, pre-production type stuff or very early prototypes. Um, you know, so we get to see things and kind of know where they've evolved from. And that gives you a little bit of insights too. Uh, but you know, until we, until we get it, I mean, we know when it, when a shoe hits, we probably know within, for sure, within a week, um, how that shoe's going to do. Cause we'll, when we get a new one in, we generally pull it a ton and, you know, make sure we have people trying it on just to experience it. You know, we have hundreds of shoes on the wall. We can't try everything on everybody, um, especially in this, you know, COVID-19 world. Um, when we reopen, it's going to be more limited try-ons. But, uh, you know, once we've put it on enough people's feet, hear their feedback, you know, we know we know generally if it's going to work. And then the final test is truly there putting the miles on the road and make sure it, it really truly works. Shoe can feel really good in the store and then not really run that well, but that generally doesn't happen. So. And obviously you have done well because you've, uh, your store has been the only one to win twice, I believe, the uh, running running store of the year award. And obviously uh, it must feel good to, to know that you're sending somebody out the door with a shoe that's going to work for them and, and your success rate is probably much higher. But uh, obviously um, that's not always the case and, and for different reasons, obviously. Um, it's, Runners sometimes need a different shoe, right? I mean, obviously, uh, because of how they're running, uh, or because of their current fitness, or because of how it fits their body. I mean, like, so, so in theory, obviously, you do as well as possible, and yet, um, obviously, there's always there's always something new coming out too. So it's it's probably like a continual kind of nonstop um, kind of reevaluation of that runner too, right? Oh yeah, it is, and that's what it's funny because as you say this, we've sort of re we, we're in the process still of revamping our entire fit process. And it's really, it's oddly back to basics. We've always, the center piece of our uh, fitting process has been the actual fit, making sure that it fits their foot. Um, we do, we have the high speed cameras and we do all that stuff and the tests and, you know, we can do whatever people want just about, but in the end, it's so much about how that shoe feels and fits, you know, uh, you know, and, it's about the customer. It, it truly is, especially in, in today's world. Like if you do studies on, you know, millennials and stuff, it's, they're very much about their world and themselves. And, you know, that's what, that's, that's where we're headed in the fit process. We really, we're asking more questions and it's all based on them versus, and them giving feedback versus us, you know, 20 years ago, they're like, Oh my gosh, look at you over pronate, you know, and, and some of that became so medical and so negative, uh, you know, and, and there's other things that have proven out that those things weren't really necessary anyway. So we try to, you know, we try to have a little bit of a positive spin, but we just need to find out what they're about, you know, and, and what they're going to use it for. And then that's how we kind of match up, uh, you know, the, the functional, uh, kind of, uh, framework on which that shoe is built. And, and we've seen, uh, I guess, in the last bunch of years, we've seen so many different changes in, in running shoes. I guess from your point of view, Dave, it must be an exciting time to, to design shoes. Uh, obviously, uh, there's so many new materials. There's so many new ideas. Uh, we'll get into some of those in a minute. But what's it like as a designer to have this kind of this this much wider range of possibility like at your fingertips? Well, I mean, I think first of all, as as as, uh, as, as funny as I'm listening to to Chris because it the rules are kind of getting they're they're rewritten, right? They're not. I found a uh, a document uh, the other day, an old manual of, of the, the way things should be done um, for running shoes and basketball shoes and different things. And I had to laugh because um, it was so outdated, you know, it's, it's, and this was an, old, an actual manual, you know, from a company. So um, 
it just tells me that, you know, as Chris said, you, you just need to adapt and you have your core principles, but, um, you know, it's kind of a constant evolution. And that's what's exciting to me is that um, you can adapt and with new materials and new technologies, um, they're enabling us to go places that we've never gone before. Yeah, for sure. I think that also, you know, we, we, the first end of the running boom was certainly all about uh, running a marathon, running a, you know, a fast marathon. Then obviously it, it emerged into other things, just finishing, you know, a race. And, um, you know, obviously half marathons, 5Ks became bigger things and all different kinds of things. And even in the last five or seven years when you had, you know, kind of color runs and novelty runs, I mean, I always thought that the, the common denominator was that people were buying running shoes, right? And so, uh, I think, Chris, you've told me before that it doesn't really matter what kind of runner um, that person is when they walk in. Um, certainly, you want to find that out from uh, your, your fitting process. But I mean, like that's how running has changed, too. It's, it's no longer about, okay, you have to run from point A to point B fast. It's now, it's whatever you want it to be, whatever that customer wants it to be, right? And that, that certainly probably has played a role in kind of how shoes are designed and, and, and marketed and, and obviously sold at your store, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's in so many ways the the way it is now. And I, and I tell our staff this and they're all like, Oh, that's just okay. Old man Hartner telling us that, you know, uphill and snow to school both ways or whatever. But, you know, um, I started doing this when I was 16 at GBS sports in, uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, um, Gary Bjorkland sports. And I'll tell you what, like the, I worked there through high school, college and grad school for eight years and I was burned out by the end of that. And, but that whole time, even before that, I was going to have my own store someday. So it's, it's my, it's where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. But I knew that someday I would open a store, but I probably, I was assuming that I probably wouldn't really work in it. Uh, just cause boy, back then it was everybody and I was young, you know, and so everybody wanted to know if I'd run a marathon and they didn't want you to fit them if you hadn't run a marathon, you know, and I was a kid, you know, um, but everybody that went to running stores then pretty much was a pretty hardcore runner. Like the average marathon time was an hour and something faster than it is now. And so, and the, and I think most people know those are the most challenging customers that'll drain you and wear you out. And then, you know, then I took my um, many year hiatus working for, you know, Reebok and Adidas and came back into the the swing when we opened the store and it was, it had changed so much. And yeah, it, it, it didn't matter. You, you could run a marathon, even doesn't matter what your speed was. And people started seeing like, wow, if he can do it, I can do it. Or if she did it, I can do it. And everybody started running marathons and the times went down, but who cares? Like it, I've always had that opinion. Like there, there are people that want to be hardcore and, you know, chat on let's run about what a real runner is. And I've, I'll always argue that like, where do you draw that line? You know, for, for one, I, I, I wouldn't be open today if we didn't have the broad spectrum of runners we do. Um, if you want to be an elitist or whatever, that's your choice. But man, we're all about anybody who you know runs as a runner. And if you walk, you're come on in. We'll get you in some good shoes. But you know, we really have to accommodate all ranges of people. And you know, there are different shoes. You know, people will use shoes differently. Like you know, maybe if somebody's running a, a you know a five hour marathon. They may not want to wear, you know, the next percent, you know, they may wear something different. So we will factor all that stuff into it. But, you know, to try and decide like what speed a runner is, you know, makes a real runners has always been kind of a, um, I don't know, it's, it's frustrating to me, but, you know, um, I think you just say, where do you yeah, draw the line? For sure. For sure. And Dave, from your point of view, I mean, obviously uh, there's still a performance division in every running brand, obviously, but, but I'm guessing that uh, the way runners have changed, it probably, uh, maybe given wider parameters or different parameters on, on how um, a specific shoe or a line of shoes are are probably um, developed. Is that right? Completely right. I mean, companies have even, um, just like you see kind of out in the marketplace, right? Um, say, say different levels of, of running shoes. Um, they've, they've set themselves up that way internally as well. And uh, so you have, um, maybe a, a group that goes after a, a broader uh, scope of, of athletes or consumers. And then you have, maybe there is a more of a focus group that goes after, um, as Chris put it, more of your kind of elitist uh, runner, but it's, it just reflects kind of where the, the market is and, and where the consumer is. And, and really that, um, you know, quite frankly, people are wearing running shoes for a lot of different things. Um, and that's great. The, the market's, 
you know, grown to the size it is. So. Yeah. To that point, I always tell people that, <clears throat> that, that running shoes became, you know, the, the, the comfort shoe of choice for Americans and, and probably more than other societies too. But I think that if you, if you go to a, an airport in the United States and you see, um, you look at the, the, the shoes on people's feet, I mean, there's, there's a majority of people wearing running shoes and it's not, that's not true in, in Europe and in other places yet, but, uh, you know, uh, we've definitely changed from, you know, the 1970s and 80s when people wore more formal shoes and work shoes. And now, obviously, the relaxing of, of, of you know, how people dress for work is different, too. And to your point, yeah, I mean, like, certainly people want to have comfortable shoes. And that's that's kind of what people go to. And I think certainly there's a certain identity of uh, of kind of um, how people identify with running shoes. Obviously, it's that started with what you were saying, Chris, too, about, about how um, how people saw, you know, running as a thing. And this is who they were. And this is how they were going to define it. So certainly... Certainly, all those things uh, play into that as well. So, so the last decade of shoe design has been kind of a monumental change, right? I mean, it's, we, we went ten years ago. We were still in this minimalism uh, kind of mode, right? And we went to maximalism right away. And then new materials came out. And then it was all of a sudden new foams, and then then all these new design paradigms. Obviously, the biggest of which was carbon fiber plates in in the middle of a, a midsole. Um, I guess, I guess, you know, how, how did all this happen? I mean, for years it seemed like a running shoe was pretty much the same thing. It was uh, rubber and foam and an upper, right, and laces. And then uh, this last 10 years has been crazy. What, what do you think has, has led to that? I think, you know, like you said, everything goes in cycles, right? So we've been kind of building to to this cycle. And I I, I don't know, Chris can – I'd be interested in Chris's opinion here, but um, I feel like cycles kind of go in these maybe five- to seven-year cycles. Um, and so we were in a minimal cycle. And then we had that kind of maximal um, reaction, let's say, to it. And, um, you know, currently I feel like we're in an energy cycle, right? So we, we've, we've kind of going through these cycles and we're, we've built to this energy cycle. It, you know, carbon fiber plates have been around for, you know, quite some time, obviously. But how it's being used now is, is slightly different than how it was used in the past. And that's all the difference. But it's also... Uh, a cycle and, and carbon fiber plates are one part of the cycle, but um, different foams uh, are another part of that same energy cycle. So we're in this energy cycle right now. And then, you know, we've been in it for a few years, so we have to be looking toward what the next cycle is going to be within that. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Chris? I mean, we obviously changed quite a bit. You were selling all these shoes and, and obviously had to, I remember hearing you say switch on the fly. I mean, I think I remember you were selling, you know, you, uh, five fingers and then all, Newton for a while. And then all of a sudden Hoka came out and changed the game there. I mean, tell me can about I, the I last one. Can I say one thing, Ryan? Chris was sure, the sure. first person. Chris was the first person I ever saw wear Hoka. <laughs> I don't know if Chris knew that, but yeah, yeah in, the, in, in, right. his, in his store, he was wearing it before anybody else. Um, I don't even think it was. It was not for sale or anything at that time, but Chris, you were the first person I ever saw wear it, and it looked so crazy. It doesn't look crazy now, oh, but it looked no. so crazy at the time when you were wearing it. Oh yeah, and that like you're you're probably one of the few that did see me because I was like embarrassed <laughs> to wear it around, and it just it made no sense. Like I remember having one of our other teammates who's a trail guy running, and I'm like, yeah, these are supposed to be for the opposite of what you think. You're supposed to run downhill in these things, and it's supposed to like none of it yeah none of it made any sense so yeah that's it's crazy how that how that's come back around and our initial um foray into that didn't do that great at the store it was kind of the right. that next year's wave through where it, you know it did a lot better but yeah you know like dave said carbon plates have been around again going back to my early days with reebok and then adidas like we had graphite road um but I think most of the, the um, you know, carbon fiber related stuff was more about support and structure and not about energy. And then we had, you know, there were various foams that everybody was using. And, and really what's happened, like on, on the cycle side of things, like I, cause this, you know, the five fingers thing, we are very, very specific and careful about telling our customers they're fine to wear around, but don't run in them. And they would just be shocked. Like what? No, I'm going to run in these. Right, like, well, right. if you if you want to run slower, that's fine. But you know, like, so we went through that whole process, and you know, we were just short of having everybody sign a waiver. Um, but we felt, you know, same thing with the Nike Free. Like, we got those in from the start, but we were more on the. You probably don't really want to run in these much. Do some strides, wear them around, and you know, just the, kind of the conservative thing because we kind of knew 
you know, the, the cushioning side of things matters, you know? Um, and then, yeah. And then the flip to the, to the maximal, um, and, and then you just heard like people were able to run again that hadn't been able to run because of impact stuff. And whatever the, whether the science proves it or doesn't prove it or whatever, there was enough cases and it just, that just made sense, right? Like, Oh, more for foundation, actually a little better support rocks you forward, the cushion, you know, all that just sort of made sense. And now you have this, um, you know, there's, there's all the conspiracy theories of, you know, who did it first and really is it, you know, Nike with the next, like all that stuff. But the, the reality is, dude, this stuff works. And, um, I, I, the, the next like phase and next evolution, like I, boy, it's got a, it's got a challenge in front of it, you know? Um, because, uh, you know, I personally, I mean, I, I can, you know, I run on the treadmill a lot and, I've been doing it for a long time and I know I, I can see the heart rate difference and the effort difference running in a next percent versus running in a, a non, you know, carbon plated super foam shoe, you know, it's right there. Look at my heartbeat or, you know, whatever, yep. um, as a, as a case study of one and obviously the times and all that kind of stuff. But, um, this trend is, it's probably that it, it's weird because it's the most exciting uh, in my mind, because it does truly, it's truly making people faster, which is great. But the, the interesting thing I think, and maybe I'm wrong and I haven't seen the data, but I, there aren't that many people on a relative basis that care that much about how fast they run. Right. So it's, we do sell pretty much every, you know, next percent we get in, you know, selling, but, um, you know, on the other hand, that that's still like, and we might have a couple of people on a waiting list, but it's not, it's, it's not like this massive backlog of everybody wanting it. Um, and I don't know, I'd be interested to see like what percentage of people really care about it that much. I think everybody would like to, you know, feel more comfortable and run faster, but it's just maybe not a priority to not be injured. Now that's a whole other thing. And, and maybe that's the, the evolution and where things are going. And I think Nike's, you know, they're kind of taking it that way with one branch off of the situation, but um, you know, it's interesting to see that, but it's, it's so exciting at, from a, from a retail perspective, we love these kind of, you know, new energies inserted into our business and, um, and excitement and change. And, you know, maybe as the owner, I like it. Some of the employees may not like it as much, but, um, you know, it's just really, it keeps us going, you know, and, and it's progress, you know, when people, people get mad and, you know, if you do a little shoe clinic for people and, you know, I'll hold up a, a, you know, an original like Pegasus or a Pegasus eight, and then I'll hold up the current one. And, you know, I'll, I'll say, Hey, look, you know, if, if you don't want these shoes to change at all, if you want to keep it the same, cause that's your shoe, then, you know, here's, here's the Pegasus one that you, that's what you'd be running in today, you know? Yep, yep. Uh, so we need these things and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's vital to our business, you know, and the, the industry's changed to w- annual updates now. I mean, as a retailer, be nice to have shoes update every two years instead of every year because of a, a running specialty retailer because we truly do sell on function. We don't need the shoe to change every 12 months, but there's a filling of the pipeline. There's economies of, you know, what happened that, that forces most of our brands into that. But with the changes we're seeing right now, we might see a few, I know we're going to see a few shoes that get a longer life cycle than they normally would. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, especially now with the uh, the COVID situation. Obviously, people might change their consumer habits. <clears throat> um, look, looking back, I mean, at the turn of the century, I think that you know it, when two thousand came around, we were, we were selling a lot of we had a lot of running shoes that were pretty similar. There was obviously a lot of a lot of um, EVA foam shoes. Obviously, the Nike Shocks were different, but maybe not that effective. And then with the minimalism right away. Yeah, you mentioned Nike Free. Obviously, Five Fingers Newton had something new. Um, but but I think you hit a really good point that like obviously cushion mattered because people wanted to feel good. I think that people the best thing that came out of minimalism was that people kind of thought about how they run maybe more. Um, you know, with running exactly. for, with running form yeah. and stuff. And Newton did a lot of that, and so did Five Fingers. And you know, obviously, Born to Run changed the game for that reason. But I think yeah. what what made Hoka work was because oh yeah, people want to feel cushy feeling, and Hoka was more than just cushy feeling. It was light, it was rocker, and all that stuff. And certainly, I think that kind of led to like yeah, people want to feel good when they run, and 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 yeah, regardless of speed, right? I mean, like that's that seems to be play a, a lot of a lot of uh, lot into it. Totally agree. So the next thing I think that came into play was obviously new materials. And I think that um, the one one reason that Hoka actually worked from the start was because people said oh wow it's not that heavy, right? And they had a new foam. 
And certainly the next biggest foam in my mind that came out was Adidas when they came out with the Boost foam, right? That, you know, those TPU yeah. pellets welded together because all of a sudden it was like, it was cushy and, and impact damping, but it was also super energetic. I guess maybe talk about, maybe, maybe Dave, talk about the foams and kind of how they changed the game a little bit and how those new materials are still obviously allowing you as a designer to kind of envision new ways to design shoes. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's honestly what kind of prompted this whole energy cycle, right? It, you hit it on the head with uh, with Boost. Boost was kind of the first one that, <clears throat> not the lightest, um, but as far as energy return goes, uh, really started that conversation, I think. And now you see all the brands, and I, I like to look at it as almost like a, uh, it's a really exciting time, as Chris said, because it's almost like a, a democratization, right, of technology. Um, every brand now, for the most part, has, um, you know, some form of an exotic foam. So it's really cool because you, there it's, it's then now, how do you, how do you play with that foam? How do you set it up? What other, um, you know, pieces of that layer cake, uh, how do you, how do you put it together in a different way to get a different result? You know, and, and that's, you know, how things like the, the 4% were born, you know, um, the foam technology itself, uh, you know, PBACs related has been been around for quite some time, but but the the cake was put together differently. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's it's really exciting, and I look at all the brands and I and I see all the different foams, and uh, it, it it creates, as Chris said, I think it's the most exciting time, and at least in in, in my lifetime uh, that I can remember right now for running uh, and running shoes, just because there's so many new things happening, and and I love it. Uh, I think what's happening now with this kind of, um, you know, uh, increase of technology is it's, it's enabling different sense of feel. And, and I don't think, you know, people, not all people necessarily are concerned about going faster, but they are concerned about feeling better and having a different sensation when they run. And, and that's what these foams are doing there. Um, besides that they might actually be getting faster, they're actually just having a different sensation and, um, having a, a really great experience when they're out there. So that's uh, something, you know, proprioception and, and perception, I guess you could say, is is just as important as the biomechanics at the end of the day. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that one of the things people have said, and I'm not sure if there's a study to this, but uh, certainly all these, these 4% cents and um, next percents, uh, it, it's one thing that you're going faster. Certainly, you're more efficient, uh, as we know. As Chris, you mentioned, the heart rate is lower to, to run the same pace. Um, but also, I think the recovery aspect is, is a big deal. People talk about doing a long run in one of these shoes, and you're not as beat up the next day. And that, that certainly started with Hoka in some respects. But certainly, these new shoes, I think, for sure, if you go out for a 20-mile or a training run, you're not feeling it two days, three days down the road. You might might just be over it in the first day. And certainly, that's that's a big part of the bigger part of the running industry. As you said, you, you both said basically that people want to feel better, you know, and that's that's a big part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, with carbon fiber plates, obviously a big deal in the last year. People, you know, said, oh, it's a, it's a competitive advantage for people wearing Nikes. And certainly with uh, what Elliot Joey did, he, he ran the 159.40. It proved that, that some kind of a new design with the foam, the carbon fiber plate can can make you go faster, obviously. And but yet, uh, World Athletics came out and had their regulations. Every other brand had something in the works, and now everybody has some sort of this shoe, right? And um, we saw that a lot of that in the Olympic trials um, uh, in Atlanta. I, I guess my my thing was always that like, okay, these shoes are not putting more energy into the runner's stride. It's just, it's just using the, the energy that's putting it into it from the runner. Right. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a tour de France rider with a motor in their frame. It was basically just a more efficient way to, to go from touchdown to toe off. Right. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. I mean, that can be a, that can be a, applied across a range. Right. So at, at what point are you wearing bladed, you know, um, devices and they, they know that that makes a huge difference. So I know that there has to be some at some point some line that has to has to be drawn, and they decided they had to do it. Um, but you know, I, I just I, I don't see any like like you, Brian. I agree. We're not putting extra energy in. It's not doing. It's not cheating. It's it's making people you know be more efficient with what they have. Um, but at some point, you have to draw a line in there, and you know, I, it's the same thing. Like some people will want to say like. Oh, what's a real runner or not a real runner or who's a jogger and all that. And I always like, th- 
where do you draw that line and who cares? Like right, that, right. Part, that, that part doesn't really matter. And where, uh, you know, so are you saying if somebody, what, you have to be a 205 marathoner to be a real runner? Oh, no, no. Like, so 220, like, well, they're good, you know, like, but then where do you, you know, there's certain things you just, you don't, that, that don't matter. This kind of does, because there's a point where it, uh, it just gets to be, it'll get to be too much and too crazy. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I, I respect, uh, I respect them for having, for making that decision. It sounds like how the decision was made, you know, might've been, you know, there's brands involved in some of these large organizations at different levels um, and in different ways that kind of play into the whole thing. But they drew a line in the sand and, you know, there was existing models in place that they kind of used as that guideline and they were already out and being running. So like, you know, here's where we got to kind of stop it, you know, and so that'll push further development in other parts of it, right? Like, so thicknesses thicknesses controlled and the plate formulation is controlled or the, you know, the configuration of it, but they're going to find other ways to keep working on it. I don't think they can make it. I don't think they can make it too much lighter, you know, like certainly they can, but at this point the weight is just not, I mean, not even, I don't think it's even that huge of a factor as it is. They're very light, but the other stuff that's happening, like, and it is true, Brian, you mentioned the recovery part of it. Like, I had to kind of do a crash training program for a marathon this last late last year. And I could not believe, uh, and these are on legs that haven't run much in the last several years, how good I'd feel after, you know, putting in some long runs that I should just have felt wrecked, but it's something about it. The foam, the plate, the rocker, um, there's something kind of magical in that recovery aspect too, that, you know, that that's going to benefit people and help them run faster, you know, for sure. And I think, you know, you said earlier, it's a, it's a great time to be in shoes, obviously in running shoes. And, and, but also that like whatever's next is going to be something really crazy and different because we're in such a good place right now um, with, with efficiency and speed. I think certainly the next step uh, it may be improvement is durability. And I think already some, some more durable foams are coming out. So these aren't just, uh, you know, one and done type of shoes, but I think it's certainly an exciting time to be a shoe designer. And I guess from that point of view, Dave, let's talk about speed hack your, your YouTube, uh, webisodes that basically you take shoes and you morph them and, and you mod them and basically come up with something new, I guess. How'd you come up with that idea? Cause it looks like a lot of fun. I, I, you take, you take everything from road running shoes and make them trail running shoes and you take soccer boots and make them trail running shoes. And, and, uh, you know, I, was, I, I know there was that episode where, where Chris, you had mentioned that, Hey, why don't you take, uh, uh, I think you took a uh, a next percent and made it a mountain bike shoe. Uh, talk about that and how much fun that is to, is to, to, to tweak shoes like that. Well, I mean, I, it's definitely a passion project. Um, and it's something that, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I think a lot of uh, shoe designers and, and not even, I think even beyond design, just talk about like, oh, I, what if I would do this or I would do that? And, um, you know, I, it, Chris's uh, comment was... Uh, was great. And so we thought, you know, let's, let's actually do that one. Cause, uh, we're both kind of gearheads. Um, but I, I think the show actually represents, um, in some ways where the industry, um, could go in many ways in the future. Um, right now I, I look at shoes and it's still a very, um, let's say generalist approach where technology has gotten, you know, so much better and, but you still have a shoe that's for everyone. Um, and so it's not very, when you think about high performance equipment, that really isn't what high performance equipment's about, right? High performance equipment's about tuning it for the individual and getting into real precision. And um, I think when you think about it that way, that the footwear industry um, has a long, long, long way to go um, which is really exciting for all of us, I think, because if you start to think about it like that, you can start to really get into how much somebody weighs, you know, how they strike and all this stuff. And you can get hyper specific about how you would design and create a, a shoe. And, and the speed hack is a, is kind of a, a raw version of that where we're taking something and we're hacking it, um, to more of an equipment level that, you know, in this case you can do, cause it's more of a one-off. But what if you could take that approach and get very uh, DIY about it um, for yourself? It would be pretty interesting. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that there's, you know, as much as we all look at shoes and say, oh, how can we get better? We've probably always thought that about things and about everything else in our, our consumer world too, with like cell phones. No, no one would have ever thought that like you'd have every song or movie or everything you've ever wanted in the palm of your hand on your phone when just 15 years ago, not all phones were texting and Blackberries were the thing, right? And now it's like, okay, if you can, if you look at that, that transformation, yeah, there could be a, a long way to go. I mean, you look at that new Hoka 10.9 shoe with a huge extension off the back for downhill running or, or even the Atreyu guys who are creating something new and potentially selling it in a subscription model, you know? Um, that, that seems pretty cool. It seems like there's always something that's going to change. And, and, and Chris, certainly, as you've kind of alluded to, in the retail front, I mean, like you can probably see it over the arc of your time in, in, in your, in your business, but also every week there's, there's, there's new things coming out. Yeah. Well, and the, the thing that I love about, you know, speed hack Dave's, Dave's action there is, um, I, I wish you would, I wish they could do one every week. Uh, because <laughs> I think there are, there are so many really good shoes out there that are just, you know, a little bit short of, of being perfect. And even, uh, and I do this for people all the time. I don't do it as much lately, but um, I still do it to almost every pair of shoes that I have that I run in regularly. You know, I feel like I have maybe a little lower ankle bone. So I'll notch out the collar height on most shoes. If the if the Achilles is a little snug or something weird, I'll split the rear heel counter or I'll go through and cut eyelets out. And, you know, Adidas with the, the Ultra Boost, uh, their Stability Ultra Boost, that thing rode so nice. It was a great platform, but they had this like massive plastic on the side with their three stripes on both sides. And in the plastic three stripes were connected with plastic. And I went in and carved those out and, and they made these like um, little uh, three straps on either side. And it took away, I mean, I bruised a bone. I thought I had a stress reaction from it, but so we'll modify shoes. I'll modify shoes. We modify track spikes all the time for kids because kids, you know, crank their spikes so far down. We take a, you know, a Dremel and, you know, drill it out, figure it, we have these little tricks that we can to get the spikes out. And, you know, it's, it's kind of fun, you know, that aspect of it. But I think what Dave's showing in some of these things, I, th there has to be shoe designers at the companies that um, have seen what these guys have done with their shoes and gone like, damn, we yeah. can try it. You know, we can, we can do this. It's not that hard. And, um, you know, but, and I'm also just impressed at how well they execute those things. Like, uh, you know, the adding overlays and, you know, drilling stuff out and trying to put a, the plate in the, in the next percent, like, wow. All right. That was, um, <laughs> impressive insights on how to do stuff like that. But yeah, I think there is a, there is a level of customization even for just about anybody. I'll do, I've done it for customers, you know, like, oh, I love the shoe, but this little, I'm like, well, are you okay if I, if I cut a notch in it right here, like if it falls apart, I'll take it back. But, you know, we've made a lot of customers happy because um, the shoe is 99, literally 99% of what they needed. But that 1% could be, you know, kind of painful. Yeah, for sure. And I, I've, I've for years also you know, made some mods. I've cut cut holes or drilled holes to, to reduce the weight, you know, just to carve out some of the um, <laughs> excess foam rubber. And then also for drainage, you know, mm -hmm. and I, you know, if, if you know the story behind Ultra, obviously Golden Harper and then before him is dad, Hawk Harper. They, they, they came up with their whole concept by, by basically taking existing shoes and, and making mods out of them and, and really to get to their, their zero drop thing. And certainly they've done well with that. But certainly, yeah, it's, it's fun to see, um, Dave, when you're doing stuff that like, yeah, I mean, like, what if, what if a shoe that hits the market is pretty good, but hey, we could do this, this and this. And wow, it's really good. You know, it's like, and it, and it kind of rides that line between what you spoke about before with the original shoe brief and what the end sale goal, sales goals are and all that stuff to what you know is actually a better shoe, you know? Yeah. yeah, and it's usually it's like it's usually some production related thing in the upper that gets you. You know, like the whole concept and the design was great, and the ride is really good. Like you can't; it's much harder to change the ride, but um, you know, modifying a plastic overlay or an eyelid or adding an eyelid or taking an eyelid out or you know whatever, those things are pretty doable. You know. Yeah, and you can definitely you can definitely do stuff when it's when it's more of a one off experience, right? There's there's actually things you can do that to Chris's point that you can't necessarily do in production. <laughs> so that, that it kind of starts to open the doors uh, of trying new stuff. And it's, it's a really great way to work. Actually. Um, it's more of that kind of makers uh, builder mentality where you're really getting back to trying to optimize performance. Um, and 
and sometimes, you know, when you're in the, in the, say the, the big machine, um, that way of working is, is somewhat lost. So, uh, for us, it's kind of, it's getting back to our, our roots a little bit, but, but really getting back to optimizing performance and, uh, you know, trying to really with that kind of more equipment mindset. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, I've asked this question to various people in the industry or friends and, you know, it's like, I think Jean-Luc Diard from Hoka told me, he's like, yeah, if you look at the the evolution of the last 20 or 30 years of running shoes, it still looks like a running shoe, right? Whereas other products we know have changed considerably um, because of technology or new materials. And so I think that all the things we talked about, um, certainly the idea and the premise of, of wanting someone to run better or faster or certainly more injury free or more comfortably. Certainly that that's always a motivation that's tied to probably sales, but, but those two things um, with new materials and new ideas or, or, you know, uh, endless new possibilities is, is always going to lead to cool new running shoes. I mean, it's, it seems like, it seems like it's almost endless from that point of view. Yeah, it, it pretty, it pretty much is. And that's, that's, what's funny about, you know, you get a, a question from, let's say somebody who's not quite as in, in tune with the industry or, or running shoes. And they're like, well, I don't understand how it can, you know, keep going and keep innovating. And it's like, wow, I, I feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And like, and we've probably already seen some of the 2022 shoes and concepts mm-hmm. for 2023. And that's exciting, you know, obviously to see that behind the curtain, but we know too, that like, you know, we don't, we don't, we have no idea what 2024 and beyond will bring because, you know, it's still not even on that brief of a, of a, a memo yet, you know, which is cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Okay. That's a wrap for this episode of Kixology. Uh, thank you, Chris Hartner and Dave Dombro. Uh, certainly great conversation. Always fun to talk about running shoes. Uh, hope to see you guys on a run soon. Thanks for thank having you. us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Kixology podcast. Please tune in each week as I talk about all things running shoes, from breakthrough innovations to historic fails to bestsellers of the past and present, plus a look at what's coming down the pipe in the future. Also, be sure to pick up a copy of my book, Kixology, The Hype, Science, Culture, and Cool of Running Shoes, available from bellopress.com or Amazon. 